Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. I grew up in the heyday of coal mining. I was born in 1951. I, I grew up when everything was thriving. I counted for my application 50 surrounding coal communities within a 20 mile radius of our site, most of which are gone, and the rest of which are just a shadow of the coal. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachian Meets World, we are back. It's Will. And Neil, what up, my brother? Hey, what's going on? What's going on? Man, you know. Just chilling. How's things in your world? Things are really good. How's the weather this time of year for you? It's been a couple days in April and it snowed. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? That's what it does here, man. That's what it does here. 70 degrees and sunny today in the 606, man. Well, that's that's the beauty of Appalachia. Absolutely. Man, some solid, solid basketball games over the weekend, Will. Yeah. We crowned a new champ. I tell you, I, I I'll give respect to Coach K. I mean, he's been at it for 40 years, and he's he's probably the best, if not one of the best. But I was glad to see him go down. Respect, Schmeck. I was glad he <laughs> lost. <laughs> that made my whole weekend, bro. A Kentucky fan. It's Coach K, man, I don't care. If Leitner had never hit that shot, we wouldn't they be in this situation. show that crap. But I was glad – their rivals took them down. What about Kansas, man? Beating Villanova and then somehow pull it off against North Carolina. I know they won, but Kentucky beat them by 20 on their home court. So they're not a true champion to me. It's Kentucky. going to get erased in a couple of weeks anyway. <laughs> so take it away now. Give it to Kentucky. I just hate to see both of those teams win any games because they're, you know, they're right neck and neck with Kentucky with most wins of all time. Really puts a damper on things for the Wildcats. Yeah. I don't want to talk too much basketball, but it was nice to see Oscar Shibway take away the uh, Player of the Year awards. Um, well deserved. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to believe that he is only the second player in Kentucky basketball history next to Anthony Davis to win the Naismith Player of the Year. That's crazy. How much history as we have. Unbelievable, really. Tremendous year for the guy. What a great ambassador he is for Kentucky basketball. So, Well, I won't say probably. I think definitely better person than he is a player. Yeah, for sure. I was glad. I was glad to see it happen to somebody like that. I sure hope he comes back, but I'm not so sure it's the best decision for him. We'll see. I, I also wanted to ask you did, you, did you watch the Oscars? Man, slap that taste right out your mouth, boy. <laughs> I don't watch the Oscars. But I know you, you saw the clip. Of course I did, man. How could I not? If you're a living, breathing human, you saw the clip <laughs> everywhere. I did kind of think that was bad, honestly. I mean, <clears throat> I don't like the Grammys to begin with. But when you got a comedian up there on stage, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I guess they can joke about whatever they want. Right. I mean, they can. You entertainment. And had anyone else from the crowd that wasn't a star gone out there and done that, they would have gotten arrested on the spot. Tell you what, if I, if I was there and I'd have walked up and smacked Chris Rock in the mouth, you better believe I'd be in the LA County jail. You'd still be in jail. You'd still be there. <laughs> and I guarantee if someone like uh, Jason Momoa was up there cracking that joke, that Will mm -hmm. Smith wouldn't have walked up there. No, no way. No chance. <laughs> I've talked to a couple of different people and like they were and, and you can put yourself in this in this scenario. So Chris Rock goes with the joke and then like Will Smith kind of laughs a little bit. And then he out of the corner of his eye kind of looks over at, at Jada and she's not laughing. And then it hits him. 
Like, yeah. that ain't funny. <laughs> no. Like, I, I'm at a crossroads here. What do I do? Do I laugh or do I make a scene and, and show my wife I've got her back? I know. And they only had a few seconds. It's like dropping your cell phone in the toilet. You look yeah. down and you're like, do I go after it or not? <laughs> he, he looked at Jaden. He's like, uh, he only had a few seconds. Do I go on stage or do I sit right here? Been a whole made a whole lot more sense to just get a bag of rice instead of what he did. <laughs> <laughs> Put that cell phone in the bag of rice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was one thing that also came out of that. I heard a quote. I don't listen to this guy because he really gets on my nerves. He has a show on HBO, but you know Bill Maher. Oh yeah. All right. So so he was on there talking about the slap, and I just want to read his quote so I don't mess it up. You know, he was he's a comedian himself, and so he was trying to make fun of it or whatever. And so his quote was, put on an effing wig. Alopecia, it's not leukemia. It's when your hair falls out. Appalachia, it's when your teeth fall out. There are worse things. So that's what he said about the slap. He was basically, he was trying to, I guess, trying to be funny, you know, saying she could wear a wig like everyone else in Hollywood. Ha, 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 funny. But they had to throw Appalachia under the rug in there. It just irritates me, man. Anyone can make fun in Appalachia, and that's okay. I wish I was with him when he said it, because I would have walked up on stage and <laughs> smacked the teeth right out his mouth. <laughs> and you would have been arrested. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't talk about Appalachia like that. I got all my teeth, Bill. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say that. We, we, can, we can go on to something else, but yeah, it just irritates me. I wanted to mention real quick before we get into it, they gave the Weatherford Award recently. I don't know if you're familiar with the Weatherford Award. It's for literature, but it's given by Berea and the Appalachian Studies Association. They've been giving it away for 50 years. It commemorates the life and achievements of W.D. Weatherford Sr., Sounds like you're familiar with it. <laughs> I can read it. It was, a, it was a pioneer and leading figure in Appalachian development, youth work, and race relations. And it's also after his son, Willis D., who was the sixth president of Berea. But I just wanted to mention that because this year's Weatherford Award winner for nonfiction was the Harlan Renaissance. Oh, awesome. Dr. William Bill Turner. Awesome. Well-deserved. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely an award that was well-deserved. And uh, I still think back to our interview with Dr. Turner and hope he takes dad fishing soon. Yeah, we've had a couple of Weatherford Award winners. I know Crowley won the Weatherford and now Dr. Turner. He probably won it because he was on the show. Absolutely. That's kind of what I was thinking. You know, Crowley won it and then we decided, okay, now he's worthy of coming on the show. We have Dr. Turner on and then he wins it. So, I mean, things are looking up for Appalachia Meets World. I expect us to win a Grammy or something next year. I won't smack anybody, I promise. <laughs> I, I know, considering it was the Oscars and you caught them the Grammys a minute ago, you don't even watch the Oscars. <laughs> I, I, I didn't call them the Grammys. I was saying maybe I'll win a Grammy up for the podcast. <laughs> no, early. I know I can't win an Oscar. Nobody can see me right now. <laughs> Did you watch any of the movies that were up for Best Picture? Absolutely not. Did here, anybody you, watch those? You had to watch some of them. So, did you watch what? Coda? Coda won. No, I didn't watch it. It's about a deaf family. It's supposed to be really touching. I haven't seen it either. King Richard. That's what Will Smith won for. Seen it? Yeah, didn't watch it. West Side Story. Was it on Netflix? No, didn't watch it. Power of the Dog. No. I watched Power of the Dog. It got a lot of hype. I, I can see why. I think some people like it. Some people wouldn't. Right. It was okay. It was okay. It's pretty good. Artfully done. <coughs> Belfast. Nope. Drive my car. Try again. <laughs> Licorice pizza. Negative. <laughs> Dune. Nope. <laughs> Don't look up. No, nah, nope. I know you've seen that. You haven't seen Don't Look Up? No. Nope. You? Uh, it's on Netflix. I have, I have seen Don't Look Up. It's, oh, it's maybe okay. I, maybe I have seen it. It's, it's not Netflix. my cup of tea. It's, it's got its funny parts. It's, it's a, a sarcastic take on... Uh, I think it's more in, in regards to like people talking about climate change and nobody listening, but this was, they're talking about blowing up this meteorite coming towards the earth and blowing it up and no one's listening to the scientists. It's kind of funny, but Nightmare Alley. Nope. And that was it. So you are <laughs> one, two, three, well. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Oh, for 10. Good thing. 
Good thing I wasn't voting this year. <laughs> hey, speaking of movies, what what's the last movie you saw? The last movie? Uh, it's a good question, man. It might have been Power of the Dog. I don't watch a lot of movies. Yeah, more than me, apparently. But, <laughs> I was uh, two for ten. <laughs> so, last Friday night, we had movie night in my bedroom with everybody. So, that was interesting. What'd you and watch? First of all, our listeners may or may not know, I do have an 18-month-old. So, we put Titus to bed. And then me and Rachel and Maddox and Nate all got ready for bed and got in our bed. And they do not sleep with us ever. So there's four of us in the bed watching the American underdog. Ooh. Nice. Yeah. Kurt Warner. We nice. Watched, we watched a little uh how was it? Click. I liked it. I really enjoyed it. So well I wanted to ask you that. So I guess with an 18 month old, you're definitely a streaming family instead of go to a theater family. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah, for, for sure. me, going to a theater is out of I can't remember the last time I went to a theater. We did not not too long ago, I guess, after COVID and people started going back just to kind of support. But we were like the only ones in the theater when we went. So Yeah, and, th- and this year, Coda, which won Best Picture, was the first streaming movie to win Best Picture. Oh, it's interesting. Way of yeah, the world, I, I, especially I love, with COVID. You know, you know me. I love the convenience of your own home. So watching it on Apple TV or Netflix or whatever is – kind of the way to go for me well, i wanted to ask you do you, since since we're down this rabbit hole do you have a favorite movie oh i'll be your huckleberry <laughs> boomstone baby come nice. on nice. You? i do it's goodwill hunting of course it is how I about them said, how about them apples? how about them apples i could have told you that before you ever answered it. not necessarily indie but do you have like an unexpected favorite that you know no one would really ever ever heard of but you, you know, it's still one of your favorites. Um, Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> A little inside joke there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I don't know. There's lots of great films out there. Lots of great, lots of great movies that I love. I mean, does is there one that that sticks out to you that I could have told you Goodwill Hunting was your favorite? But yeah, there is. I can guess you've never seen it, but um, <laughs> if it won a, if it won an Oscar, I definitely haven't. And and I want to mention it because it kind of leads into our guest tonight. I don't know why I liked it so much. Maybe it's the time that I watched it, or I, I don't know. I, I don't actually think it got very good ratings. But it was a book, salmon fishing in in the Yemen. Oh no, I have heard of it. I haven't watched it though. It's got Ewan McGregor. It's got Emily Blunt. But it's about this scientist who gets recruited who really didn't want to do it because they didn't think it could happen gets recruited by this sheik to bring basically a river and salmon to the yemen which is you know a desert yeah (laughs) it seems like an impossible feat and there's more a lot more to it than that that's kind of the storyline and there it's got a lot of fly fishing in it which i like i've always wanted to go to alaska for that one reason to fish to see when the salmon come in they run and see when the salmon run because i've heard thrilling stories about it i've seen a couple documentaries about it i've always wanted to to go and and see that and maybe even do some fishing and uh, catch some of those salmon that would be the kind of fishing that i would enjoy because i'm not a very patient fisherman so if you could catch them, bam, 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 I'm all in. <laughs> and, uh, I hear that's the way it is. But yeah, I wanted to mention that. I, I just really, really like that movie. But it's about, you know, bringing salmon to an impossible place. When, when you think of it, our guest that we're having on tonight, he's not bringing it to fish, but he's bringing salmon to Appalachia. Mm-hmm. In an impossible way. I, can't, I mean, what one would think would be an impossible way. And, and you say impossible way, but it's got a lot to do with a federal program that is actually, they give the money to the states and the states run their own program, but it's called the AMLER program. Stands mm-hmm. for Abandoned Mine Land Economic Revitalization Program. It used to be the AML pilot program. And since 2016, the AMLER program has given out $777.5 million 
And they only give it to uh, six Appalachia states with the most abandoned mine lands. And that's Alabama, Kentucky, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia. They also include three tribes in there. But it's pretty cool. Almost uh, three quarters of a billion dollars have been given to these abandoned mine lands. Just recently, West Virginia specifically awarded $24.7 million of that to several projects that range from trails to RV parks to lavender farms to tiny home manufacturing and and the one that we that we're talking about tonight is Appalachian salmon and all that other stuff you mentioned is great but this one is the most intriguing to me it's really cool and uh, I look forward to getting into it with Mr. Caperton to talk about his new venture hey will before before we get Mr. Caperton on do you have an app biz to share with our listeners tonight well, Neil, I do. I do have an app. I actually have several app businesses tonight. We just need one. You save the rest for next week. Well, they all <laughs> <laughs> they all are in line with what we kind of what we've been talking about at the end of the end of the intro here, uh, in regards to fishing and fly fishing. Okay. okay. So I have several few parts of Appalachia that are known for fly fishing. Uh, there are a few standouts in those locations. I just wanted to mention a couple. Fannin County, Georgia, is known as the trout capital of Georgia. And they have a little shop there, Appalachian Anglers. I want to give them a shout out. You can check them out on AppalachianAnglers.com. They're actually in Fannin County, but more specifically in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Apparently some great fly fishing there, but this Appalachian Anglers is of their own outfitters. You can give them a call and they can take you out on the rivers. There's also another one in Harrisonburg, Virginia. They have some really good fishing there too. It's called Mossy Creek Fly Fishing. It's a little outfit there, mossycreekflyfishing.com. It's an Orvis endorsed store. Another shop that I've been to, some great fly fishing around the Asheville area, but this one specifically is in Brevard, or really it's in Rosman, North Carolina, but most people think of it as Brevard, but it's called Headwater Outfitters. Headwater's a cool shop. It's not only an outfitter, but they also have, you know, they have fishing, they, they'll take you paddling, they'll take you tubing, but they also have a little tap room that you can go into after you're outfitters of taking you out on the river that's something that i've done it's a cool cool little spot great fishing i'm just wanting to mention them to headwatersoutfitters.com and the last one i just want to keep it local a little bit to the 606 in your neck of the woods there neil right outside your front door saddlebrook outdoors has been there since 1999 have all your fishing needs and this is lake fishing this is bass fishing or anything you want to fish in Laurel Lake. Saddlebrook Outdoors has your equipment. They can get you equipped and get you on your way. Just want to give them a shout out as well. Also our dad's favorite local hangout. So glad, <laughs> glad you mentioned them. If you're into fishing, if you're into the outdoors, if you're into wading, the creeks or whatever, check out your local shop. Most places have them. Keep it local. These are a few Without further ado, Will, let's get Austin Caperton on and figure out what's going on with salmon in West Virginia. All right, let's do it. On the show today, we have a special guest, Austin Caperton. He is an engineer and a lawyer and a longtime executive in the coal industry in West Virginia. Following that, he has also started a career as an entrepreneur and a consultant when he started his own firm, Caperton Energy. He most recently was appointed the cabinet secretary for the West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection, which he left in January of 2021. Now, and the kind of the reason obviously we have him on the show he's utilizing his gained experience and his knowledge to bring really an entire industry to Appalachia more specifically to West Virginia as founder and CEO of Appalachian Salmon a land-based aquaculture center Austin we wanted to greatly thank you for being on the show we appreciate your time well I appreciate you Neil and I 
our families, like most Appalachian families, we're big on tradition. And one of the traditions we have appetizers at the holidays. Usually we have more appetizers than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or do you have a favorite holiday dish? Whoa. Um, I love shrimp cocktail. We've had a couple of people say that. Yeah, yeah. You can't go wrong with a good <laughs> shrimp cocktail. And my brother and I, we make fun of each other when we go to a Christmas party or anywhere where there's, you know, big shrimp bowl that uh, we fight over the shrimp and we call each other out. How many shrimp did you have last night? <laughs> <laughs> well, in our family, our uncle is known as the shrimp guy. He brings shrimp to all the holidays. I, Not salmon, but shrimp. Uh, that's close <laughs> enough, right? <laughs> I've never figured out whether it's the shrimp or the cocktail sauce that I like the best. <laughs> My dad likes to spice up that cocktail sauce. So it's always a hit at our Christmas dinner, for sure. Austin, now that we have that question out of the way, and before we get into Appalachian salmon, which obviously is why we have you on the show, just have a question about your time at the DEP. So you led the West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection, where you, among other things, uh, dispersed $100 million in the Abandoned Mine Land Program. You helped West Virginia meet air quality standards for the first time in 40 years. You developed the TNT Treatment Facility, which is a ground watershed restoration project in the Cheat River and you also, you know, as a coal exec, walked a fine line as a, as a former coal exec while leading a balanced approach, I, I thought, to environmental regulation and job creation, which you've often been applauded by the West Virginia Manufacturing Association. And I know there were a few things that came up while, while you spent time there, like the Mountain Valley pop, Pipeline, the Rockwell Air Quality Permit, things like that. But after all that, we just wanted to ask you, you know, through the lens of the DEP, what were some of the challenges you saw in West Virginia? And, you know, what accomplishments were you, or maybe just one accomplishment that you were the proudest of in your time served? Well, you've been doing your homework, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thank you for the introduction. You know, when I, I took that job, it was scary. The governor, I had been in, uh, I was a cyclist at the time, and I'd been in Chile and had a massive bike wreck. So I was in a sling and I got a call and somebody said, hey, the governor might want you to consider this job. And then I said, well, I'll talk. Then his chief of staff called and I said, well, if the governor calls me, I'll, I'll, I'll listen. So he called me and I said, well, I'd like to have a little bit of time to think and talk to a couple friends. So uh, I said, can I call you back tomorrow? He said, yeah. So I talked to a few of my friends. One of the friends I wanted to talk to was my cousin Gaston, who you might recall was the governor of West Virginia from 89 to 97. And he's sort of my best friend and a, and a mentor. And uh, I couldn't get a hold of him, so I called the governor back. I said, well, I, I want the job, but I do want uh, the chance to talk to Gaston before I say absolutely yes. He said, well, that's fine. You tell Gaston if he says no, I'm gonna kick his butt. <laughs> so I took that job and I walked in and I tell you, I, it was a, a really interesting experience. I'll say before, uh, anything else I'll say, I started work in 1969 as a summer student through 76, and then I went to work in the in the coal in the coal area. And I would say that the the four years I spent with the West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection were the four most gratifying years of my career. You cannot believe it took me a little while to understand holy moly what I gotten into because you cannot believe the technical nature of the work that they do. When I finally figured out I couldn't learn it all or do it all and just delegated everything, my job became really easy. <laughs> we, did have, we did have 800 employees, approximately, 73% uh, of which had college degrees. We had 50 masters and 20 doctorates. Every degree you could imagine in the world we had in there. We were working on some economic development with the Chinese. We had four employees who spoke Mandarin. And it was just an amazing experience. And I would say the thing that I'm most proud of is I told the employees, you know, go forth and do your job and try not to screw up. But if you do, I'm going to cover you. You know, when they figured out that I was truthful about that, that I was, you know, not a government person, that I was a businessman and wanted to accomplish things, they just absolutely flourished. I mean, they just absolutely flourished. And they made me look good. All those things you talked about was all about them. 
Some of those things got started before I was there. Some of those things got started while I was there, but it was really all about the employees. They are top notch. I think I've read that you said as your time there that, you know, job creation is obviously important in West Virginia, but that job creation started at the DEP. And, and, and to that point, you know, that's something that you're doing with the Appalachian Salmon, bringing and creating jobs in West Virginia. So we wanted just to ask you to let our listeners know just what is Appalachian Salmon? Well, it's a dream that's got a little bit of money. I raised some money from 19 different investors who believe in West Virginia and most made their fortunes here. And then we got this recent grant from the governor for $5 million under the AML program. It is a indoor facility, as you can see in the background, that is used for raising fish. And it's a well-known technology and a very well, and it's, it's used throughout the world, mostly to raise any kind of species in a four-stage process egg, smolts a little bigger, juveniles a little bigger, and then the grow out stage. So for instance, for Appalachian salmon, I should back up and say, most of the people in the world that are using that are raising them to that juvenile stage and then putting them in a boat and taking them out and putting in ocean pens. We will have these large grow out tanks that you can see behind us. So we'll go through all four phases and actually produce the final product, which in the case of Atlantic salmon is about a 10 pound fish and we'll process it on site and distribute it to just about anybody who wants it because we are within one day's drive of 60 percent of north america's population why salmon why west virginia i think the number 70 percent of the salmon that comes into the united states comes from the norway and scotland and the other 30 comes some from russia on the west coast and some from chile you know in south america and it's a huge market. Near 500,000 metric tons a year are consumed in the United States. I just went to a conference and one of the speakers at the conference said he was convinced that there was another 600,000 tons available, more available market than actual market. So we plan to utilize the water, this vast resource of water we have stored in an underground mine. Our site sits on top of 4 billion gallons of water and it replenishes to the tune of 3 million gallons a day. And we'll take it out of one area and we'll use it in our facility. We'll deep clean it and we'll put it back in the mine. It gets a final cleaning and gets cooled again. It's just a big loop. You know, I know you have a goal of producing the highest quality salmon and that gets into this idea, I think, as you just described, and as we can see by, behind you, the recirculating aquaculture system. Does this RAS system, does it control the environmental impact, especially, when, I guess, when it comes to water? I think you just kind of mentioned that, but, but how does it set your facility apart? How does it make it different? Well, if you compare it to raising a fish in an ocean net pen, you know, all of the droppings and so forth go to the bottom. Any contamination in the ocean can get into the fish. So if there's mercury or anything like that, there are lots, what's something called sea lice or other diseases that the fish can catch. So in our facility, we eliminate all that. So we, we control the feed, we control the water, we control the temperature. And that sets us apart to a large extent because we have no exposure to outside elements. We have no predation. We don't have any great white sharks jumping over and getting in our net pens. <laughs> You know, it's it's fascinating because at the end of the day, maybe 5% of the water that's used is discharged. And that comes mainly in the sludge from the sewage treatment plant. You know, fish are like all of us, they poop. And you got to gather it and collect it and turn it into sludge and dispose of it somehow. Either take it to a landfill or apply it to fields, something of that nature. So it's a very, very clean process. How big is the uh, facility? that we see behind you? Uh, the current design is about an 18 acre building. Okay, I'm just curious as to how long of a process it takes to from egg to actually being available for me to purchase. Uh, somewhere between 16 and 24 months, depending on species. Okay. And we have the option in the facility to raise any cold water species. So it could be any of the salmon varieties, you know, it could be Atlantic salmon, it could be coho salmon, it could be steelhead trout in the salmon family. They're just a giant rainbow basically, and they come from the Northern and Southern latitudes. So somewhere between 16 and 22 months, depending on the species. 
I've told Will this before, but I've always dreamed of going to Alaska and being able to get out there and catch salmon for a month. I guess I guess you're kind of taking the thrill of that out of the process for folks. You know, that assumes that you don't get, get eaten by one of those grizzly bears before the month's up, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I don't know how we'll do it. You know, it's pretty early on, but my father, my, my whole family's been active, you know, in the communities in West Virginia. My uncle was our family historian. He believes strongly that the first Caperton, who we do have documented, he came here in about 1753. And he believes that he was a trapper and trader on the New and Canal Rivers. You know, my great-grandfather is the first one that I know of that got into the coal industry back in the mid-1880s. We have senators in our back. I'm not sure about the facts, but Senator Adam Caperton was a U.S. Senator, senator and I also think a senator for the Confederacy. We go back a long ways and we believe in community service and we believe in trying to do something for people in West Virginia. So we have a great recreational lake here in Raleigh County. It's called Lake Stevens. And my father was one of the founders, basically. He was on the first commission. He and a couple of other gentlemen came up with the idea that people that were coal miners had more disposable income. They were moving away from the coal camps. They were buying houses and they needed recreational opportunities. So that recreational opportunity exists today. And it's a great place to go in Raleigh County. People come from all over. I really want to have a moving stream with fish in it that children can come in and catch a salmon. Now, yeah. whether we'll be able to carry that off and whether that's how far down the road, I can't say, but we want to be very open. We have a state-of-the-art recycling center in Beckley, Raleigh County Landfill, and it has a big classroom, an auditorium. It looks out over the, with big glass windows, it looks out over the process that's ongoing. Children come in and they get educated about the whole, you know, recycling process. So and I'd like to see us do the same thing. Yeah, I think that I think that would be great. You know, you mentioned earlier the 19 investors. You also received some AML funds, which recently in West Virginia, they funded programs ranging from trails to lavender farms to production manufacturing of tiny homes. But for your project, why was it important for you to put it on an abandoned mine or was it important for you? Well, you can't really set foot in southern West Virginia or eastern Kentucky or southwest Virginia without touching an AML site. So we picked the site and we just happened to have some AML features around us. But our application says, hey, this is not just about that AML feature. This is about the whole of Southern West Virginia, Southeast Kentucky, Southwest Virginia. You know, we have that 4 billion gallon reservoir within a 20 mile radius of where our site is located. There's about 110 billion gallons estimated to be underground. So the resource is vast and you're not using it and you're not putting anything dirty into the stream afterwards. And, you know, I grew up in the heyday of coal mining. You know, I was born in 1951. I, I grew up when everything was thriving. I counted for my application 50 surrounding coal communities within a 20 mile radius of our site, most of which are gone and the rest of which are just a shadow of their former self. You know, I grew up in Slab Fork and it was a bustling, hustling town with movie theaters and the big store with everything, the hard goods and the regular and the feed down below and so forth. And that's all gone now. And most of the coal industry's gone now. And people struggled and people suffered. It's no secret you, you live in Eastern Kentucky or have lived there. You know what happened with our problem with drugs and, but people want jobs and people want jobs. A friend of mine, who was a state senator when my cousin was uh, governor said, you know, people want jobs. They don't want to do nothing for the most part. To that point, I think there's this idea around coal mining jobs. The skills that they have are very transitional. So what role does the workforce play in West Virginia to your project? And how, how important is it to your project? Well, it gives us a big leg up. We might not have a lot of experience in raising fish, although we do have state hatcheries. And there's some, there's some local folks who are doing some rainbow trout and so forth. But when you look behind and you see that, that factory, it looks like a coal prep plant. So in a coal preparation plant, all you do is move water around. It just happens to be filthy, dirty. It's full of coal or it's full of rock. Well, in this facility, those coal miners are gonna be able to come in and they get to move clean water. A good friend of mine and several investors started a smaller facility in Logan County years ago. And that's the first thing they said was, my God, those people who work in preparation plants, they just came in here right away and they picked it up. They know about pumps, they know about electricity, they know about welding, they know about pipes. And for them, the idea that they could just pump clean water and take care of clean facilities, who 
would be very enticing. And you know this, the work ethic in Southern West Virginia, Eastern Kentucky, Southwest Virginia is amazing. It seems like a seamless or perfect transition. Are these also well-paying jobs? Yes, we haven't published anything. Uh, we have some sense of where we'll be on the wage scale, but they will be very good wages. This industry, it claims to be future-proof. You know, what's in the future for Appalachian Salmon? I know you're, it, it's an idea that's in the works that has investment behind it, but what's in the future? Any plans for growth? I don't know if you can talk about growth without having your first facility, but what's in the future for Appalachian Salmon? I think the future's unlimited. I have this vision and, and I had this, uh, I had some health issues 25 years ago and I got over the health issue, but my mind wasn't quite right. You know, it was like, oh my God, is, is that a bump? Is that a bump? So I, I met this lady who was a, a, psycho, a psychologist and she said, you know, you're a visionary. And I said, you know, she said, you don't want to get too involved in details, right? I said, no. And she said, well, just go with that. And one day I was asking her about something I was working on. And she said, you know, God-like clarity is not necessary. So I have this vision in my mind of many aquaculture centers spread around and maybe even a new network of pipelines transporting the water from here to one place or another because that's a challenge is getting the water to the flat spots. So I just see a whole new industry. I hope I'm around to see it all. Totally agree. It's a great use of, of resources that are already there and a beautiful thing you're doing in, in West Virginia and, and something that, you know, I'd love to see in a small piece of Kentucky as well. Yeah, in, in uh, you know, the Pike County area and uh, Hazard County area, you know, there's a lot of the same, you know, deep mines. Yeah. I mean, Joe Kraft, you know, used yeah. to operate mines down there in um, eastern Kentucky. And there's a couple of really big, nice deep mines that'll be just, just as full of that good, clean water as our mines. Yeah, there's some great folks over in that area in Pike County, you mentioned, in Perry County, which is Hazard, Kentucky, and a lot of great people over there as well, as you mentioned, one of them there, many, many more. Uh, so it would be awesome to see. Austin, I think uh, this is a really creative idea, bringing an entire industry into Appalachia. And, you know, we had someone on from App Harvest, we, we talked about this earlier, but on a few episodes ago, and, you know, they were kind of doing the same thing, bringing an industry into Appalachia. And, and in the end, Neil and I have said this before, why not Appalachia? Well, thank you very much. Uh, people say, well, it's a pretty large scale, you know, and it's going to take some time to get to that scale. And people have had problems before. And I said, well, somebody's going to do it right. It might as well be us. That's, That's right. Great. As a longtime Appalachian like myself, I, I do have one question that I wanted to ask that we ask all of our guests. And I just want to know the first thing that comes to mind when, when someone says the word Appalachia to you. Community. Perfect. Yeah, when I grew up in Slab Fork, if you were uh, disrespectful to a neighbor or in school and you got spanked, when you got home, you got another one. Yeah. You know, mom and dad didn't run to town to get a lawyer to sue the people and so forth. They said, if you got it, you deserved it. I don't want to ever, <laughs> I don't want to ever see that happen again. But you know, my gift came to me through growing up in Slab Fork. And my gift is I get along with everybody. So we all went to work and then we came home and we played together. You know, we went to church together. We had the church picnic every year. We played baseball. We did all the things together. It was just a real open community. So consequently, I grew up loving people. I love everybody and, and I can talk to everybody. I, and when I was with the DEP, you know, we had people coming in and talking through interpreters and so forth. Said, so, we just picked right up on that. I said, I've been doing that since I was 12. Yeah. I mean, people came from Asia, people came from Europe to, to visit the coal mines. And they stayed in a place that we called the clubhouse, which you, you're familiar with that. A little mini hotel in town because there wasn't any way to get anywhere else. So I grew up in that environment where, you know, the vice president of Ford Motor Company might be there for a night or two, then somebody from Japan Steel, Nippon Steel would be there, then somebody from Poland would be there. So it was really a, it was a great place to grow up and learn. The great Appalachian picture there that, that you painted of just being friendly and relating to all types of people. Will, Will and I can relate. We spent many a days and summers and nights playing football in our front yard. And one of the things we always did when cars would pass by, no matter who it was, we always threw our hand up and waved because that's, that's what Appalachians do. And those people that refused to wave at us, we always knew there was something different about them. You know, that's so interesting that you say that because... 
when I was you know, 16 and got my driver's license and you drive down the road, about half the people you pass, you'd stick your finger up and they yeah. would too. Yeah. So I still experiment with that sometimes. Hardly anybody does it anymore. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, since, since we have you, Austin, we, we, we wanted to ask you a few West Virginia, West Virginia questions if you're open to that. Uh, uh, you're, it's your show. All right. As a lifelong resident, we, we wanted to ask you, are you a mountaineer or a thundering herd? What if I said neither, but sort of? Uh, I agree. Oh, say a wildcat. No, not a wildcat. I'm a hokey. I'm a, a hokey. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, okay. and growing up in southern West Virginia as a hokey, whose father was a hokey and grandfather was a hokey, I took a lot of hard knocks from some of the Mounties. But then I, I swallowed my tongue and went to law school at WVU. Okay. And uh, the thing that's made me a WVU fan is I got this really cool girlfriend from WV who graduated <laughs> from WVU, and she lives in Morgantown. And uh, her dad's a big supporter of the athletic program, so I get good seats at games and so forth and so on. But uh, nice. at heart, uh, I'm a Hokie, and we won the ACC basketball tournament for the first time ever. You know, amazing. Yeah, it's a great <clears> game. We wanted to officially thank you for Oscar Shibway. Oh, we appreciate that. <laughs> Listen, and, and you know, if it wasn't for St. Peter, you might have been in the national championship. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> uh, well, my, uh, my mother-in-law, God rest her soul, what an amazing woman. She grew up in Lexington or outside of Lexington on a dirt farm and was one of 13 children. She might have finished eighth grade. She married um, after the war, uh, married a sailor. He moved her to Danville, Virginia, and then deserted her with three children. And I happened to get the middle child, whose name was Brenda. Mary worked as, if you've seen the movie Norma Ray, she was Norma Ray, tying together the loose ends in the, in the Dan River Mills factory, retired and moved back to Lexington. I think she's, she was so amazing. She should have been born, born in West Virginia. She was tough, <laughs> but, but loving. You know, she was a tough woman. I'm sorry, that's a little off subject, but. No, no, I'm sure I do she have was a connection. Wild, I'm, I'm sure uh, she was a Wildcat fan. My wife was in Lexington visiting her mother one Saturday and she said, God, we went out shopping and there was nobody out. I said, there was a Kentucky basketball game. On. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I wanted to ask you real quick, what do you think about the New River Gorge becoming a national park? Amazing for our area. Now, yeah. just to give you an example of economic development, Steve McDaniel was the former director of the DNR. I had never met him before we took office. A super nice guy, very successful business person from the Bridgeport-Clarksburg area. He re related this to me. We have five state parks within a one-hour drive of the, of the national park. He's refurbished all of them, and he said, we'll be sold out year-round now. So those parks went from probably maybe break-even to profitable overnight. That's incredible. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, I have many friends that are involved in the river industry and the recreational industry over there, and I did a big swing of national parks in 2020 went out west and I think I'd get six national parks and some state parks and so forth. You can't believe the number of people in the national park that say, I got to, I got the passport, I'm going to every national park in the country. So we expect a huge influx. It's, it's huge for our area. What's your favorite thing to do in West Virginia? Oh, geez. You know, I have so many favorite things. Now, this is what I tell people. There's a lot of things I like to do, but there's nothing I really like to do more than three days in a row except play golf. So I used to love cycling. I had another accident back on Labor Day and fractured my pelvis this time. So I've given up cycling and it's been a really, really hard decision because it's taken me so many places and introduced me to so many people. But I've given that up. I'm a golfer. I walk. I run. I'm just active. I like to be out. Best golf course in West Virginia then? Well, I live at Glade Springs, and we have three golf courses here, which actually Glade Springs was originally built by Slab 4 Coal Company. And there's two courses here that are in my top five, the Cobb course, which is the original course designed by George Cobb, who at the time was the consulting architect for Augusta National. And then the Stonehaven course here is one of my favorites. The Pete Dye course in Clarksburg, the Williams Country Club in Weirton, and the Old White Course at the Green Bar. Those are my top five in West Virginia. I have one last West Virginia question. It's kind of a general question, but what do you love most about life in West Virginia? Oh, just the outdoors. I mean, we have a great climate, really. You know, we've got four distinct seasons. I'm not, at my age, that crazy about winter anymore, but my good friend who's the head of the Chamber of Commerce in the area, 
uh, Michelle Rodolini has chastised me because I made that comment one night at the <laughs> restaurant she owns. And she said, don't you know that brings us people in during this time of the year and so forth and so on. And that's economic development. And so I have now moderated my opinion on winter. I'm, but, a, fan, I'm a fan of snowshoe. I like it over there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's uh, she worked there for years. So. It just takes it takes me too long to get there. I just oh my God. like a helicopter to pick me up and take me over there. Oh, have you ever gone to Winter Place just down the road here? I've never been there. I, I usually go out west. I'm a big fan of Big Sky, Montana. is my favorite oh, yeah. place. I can uh, be in Big Sky about as quickly as I can be in at snowshoe. That's that's the truth. I used to I used to be a skier. I haven't skied lately. Austin, we had uh, one other question that we ask all our guests. You've kind of already alluded to it or answered it, but just where do you call home and what makes it home for you? What makes it unique? Well, I call home Southern West Virginia. It's just a special place. It always has been, you know, has its ups, has its downs. But I think people don't understand what Appalachia did for the country. And I have a speech I used to make when I was with the DEP, and that is that coal built America. Coal heated the homes on the East Coast for years. That took the place of wood, so they didn't have to cut down all the forest to heat their homes. Coal, we live in an area called the, uh, the uh, smokeless coal fields. It powered the ships in World War I because they didn't make much smoke, and that was the only way you could see the enemy was the smoke coming out of their stack. And then when the mines mechanized in the 40s and, and during the war, everybody from Eastern Kentucky and West Virginia that didn't have a job, they moved to all the factories in Ohio and the steel mills and so forth, and they basically built the country from there. So I'm proud to be a part of this region. I'm proud of what this region accomplished for the United States. And it's a little bit of a shame that it has, people don't realize that. They don't realize what Appalachia and the people of Appalachia did for this country, and the contribution was immense. I'm glad that you mentioned that heritage and that proud heritage that we have for our region. And it's such an incredible or interesting aspect that you come from this heritage, this long history, family tradition, and now you are transitioning into this entirely new industry. And you understand that transition and you are bringing and creating jobs in West Virginia and Appalachia. And we just appreciate that. And that, and I just want to say thank you for the time today. And we appreciate what you're doing there in West Virginia. Well, I couldn't thank you enough for, for letting me vent. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think you can tell by my demeanor that I'm, I'm passionate about this work. And I've got a passionate team behind me. So, Neil, man, what you think about that? I'm hungry. <laughs> Seriously. I got to be honest. honest. We go from Appalachia being the ag tech capital to bringing in this sophisticated high tech facility to raise salmon. I I'm mean, still, I'm still kind of proud processing it all like trying to figure out how it all is going to work man i know he did a great job of explaining things to us but seems remarkable keeping it sustainable but using the the water from the abandoned mine mines how cool is that it's resourceful and it's sustainable and, and as we heard it doesn't affect the environment just another appalachian moving forward after the the coal era i guess and finding a way to make it in Appalachia, regardless of what resource is or isn't available. So kudos to, to Mr. Caperton for, for what he's doing. Yeah, it's, very, it's just a really cool contrast to the fact that he was an old coal exec. You know, he understands the transition and the transition that needs to be. And he not only is starting a business, he's bringing an entire industry into Appalachia. And we've heard that a few times on our on our show from other people. But I mean, this is a cool, innovative thing. And like you said, kudos to him for going forward. I'm really impressed, honestly. Uh, so I can't wait to uh, to see this thing in action. I mean, I'm looking forward to an invite for sure. Take this <laughs> place out. So I'd love to tour it. You know, not to put you not to put you on the spot, Austin. But you didn't mention that. If you <laughs> You know, I, I can send you my address for that invite. You know, moving forward, Will, is there anything that kind of hits you for our of place segment tonight? Yeah, in regards to of place, you know, as Mr. Caperton was talking about his company, about 
salmon in Appalachia just made me think of growing up fishing. Dad used to take his fishing. You know, he was on the Red Man tour. We would go on weekends to weigh-ins, bass fishing in lakes. That's what he did. As I've grown up, as I've gotten older, I've kind of transitioned into fly fishing. Even though it's still fishing, you have to learn how to fly fish. It's a little bit different, a little bit of a transition. Dad told me when, when I told him, I tried to take him out fly fishing. He told me fly fishing was for people that didn't know how to fish. So there's that mindset. And as Mr. Capernaum was talking, as he was talking about his business, you know, he came up in the coal industry. And now, as you can see, he's transitioning into an entirely different industry. He's creating his own industry and transitioning from the coal industry that he used to work in into this sustainable, environmentally sustainable aquaculture facility. And I just wanted to point out that there's this transition that he's made from coal into this brand new industry. However, as he pointed out, the skills learned in the workforce in the coal industry and easily transition into this new industry, this new facility that he has. And so I think when we think about transition, when we think about industries, we shouldn't be scared of change. We should be you know, willing to accept that there are different industries and diversification throughout Appalachia is a good thing. We have our history. We have our heritage. We've long been known as the coal fields we should definitely appreciate that heritage, but we should also appreciate these new and innovative industries that are coming to Appalachia. We had on last week App Harvest, which is ag tech that has never been done before in Appalachia. And now we have this aquaculture center, both brand new industries for Appalachia, which could have gone a lot of different places, but they chose to be in Appalachia. And I think when we think about transition, when we think about new industries, we should think big in Appalachia. Why not? I mean, why not Appalachia? We've said that before on the show. And I just wanted to make that point as he was talking. That was something I was thinking about, you know, how he has come full circle in regards to being in the coal industry to now transitioning into a whole new industry in regards to aquaculture. But while it's still a new industry, those skills and those jobs are still very similar and we can be proud of both. So it's just something I was thinking about bass fishing with dad to now fly fishing in the streams. It's a little switch, but when you get down to it, it's still the same skills. It's still catching fish. Absolutely. I look forward to buying the West Virginia salmon in my local Kroger here soon. Again, kudos to him for what he's doing there, and I'm excited to see it in action. I thought back to to those weigh-ins you, you mentioned with Dad, and you know, I think that was a result of my first surgery in life. You guys gave me a trophy that he won when I was two years old, and I jabbed it in my <laughs> right eye. And, uh, I remember. I remember. I had a scar from it, so, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's why dad never took me fishing anymore. <laughs> but, uh, that or you, you ate all the ho-hos. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did like to eat uh, on the water. So something about the water. But yeah, man, it, damn, you mentioned that and it, it sparked a memory to me. And I still got that scar to, to prove that dad won that tournament. So it must have been a good way, way in. I don't remember jabbing it in my eye, but just be careful with the kids out there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I can end it like I usually do. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong. Nothing.